Well, if you have uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to chapter 17 of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will get one to you. We're actually in two different sets of scripture, two, two texts today out of Matthew. We're going to tie them together. Um, and it's, a, it's one of those days, I'm just going to go ahead and preface this. It's one of those days where we're going to talk about a number of things that most people don't like to talk about, and especially from someone in my position talking about it. So I, I'm going to ask you if you can just... I believe that this is God's word. I believe that, that what we're going to say today is God has something to say to you. I believe he's, he's brought you here for a reason. So just sit in this. And if it, if it ruffles or you have any kind of preconceived notions or, or pains from something talked about in this past, I want to just, just ask you guys to, 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 to lay, them, lay them down just before God. Let him, let him uh, speak to you in this and, and let him be the one that shares what needs to be done um, in your heart. So let me pray first, and then we'll, then we'll dig in. God, thank you again uh, for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to uh, give us your living word. God, it's your word that, that we come to for truth. It's absolute truth, God. It's where we, we know how to live, um, who we live for, and why we live, God. And so I pray that out of that, we would surrender ourselves to your text. I pray that I would get out of the way for what you want to do, and your spirit would move in a mighty way in the hearts of every individual that is, is, is your, your son or daughter in this room, God. For those that, that don't know you today, God, I pray that, that you would just be pressing on them your, your, your love, your peace, and your joy, and, and your wisdom that can be had in, in you and only you, God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to, to get the, the, the cat out of the bag to kind of tell you what we're doing, we're talking about um, government and taxes and, and giving. And those are things that I know that everyone just loves. Like, oh, I just... I need to hear more about that, right? Like, let's just, let's just talk about that. Um, let me just start this with what this isn't. First off, there is no agenda. There is no political agenda. Nothing being said about that. We're not trying to, to do that. Um, secondly, uh, I, I believe wholeheartedly in what God calls us to in the scripture, and we've just been working through the book of Matthew, and so that's why we're in this text where we are right now, and I decided to tie this text where we are with a text that's similar to it and then pull them together. And so there's two sets of scripture. And the first one is, is where um, Jesus is approached in a very uh, gentle, reverential way. Actually, Jesus isn't even approached. It's Peter is. And then the second one is, is, is more of a trap and ensnare. And I believe both of these texts, although they, they state different things, or they state different things, they, they kind of tie together fairly well. In fact, the first one is, is kind of what you do with your money is a witness to those who don't know God. That's what we kind of gain from this text, okay? And then the second passage is is that both paying taxes and giving over of our entire selves to God is a command and that they work together. And so um, we're going to talk about those and, and then we'll just go from there. So let's just, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse um, 24 is where we're going to pick up. When they came to Capernaum, now the, they came, this is just Peter and Jesus. So when they came, so in fact, it's just Peter in the beginning of this. So we know that, that Capernaum is where kind of home ground was for Jesus. This is off the Sea of Galilee. He was in this area. Most of, the, most of his ministry time was there. And they, they stayed at, at Peter's mother-in-law's house in, in um, Capernaum. Actually, they have a big Catholic church built over it in, there in Capernaum now, if you went today. But um, they said that this is, this is where he was. So Jesus was already in the house, and Peter's coming into Capernaum somehow where he's alone or he was running a quick errand. You know, he forgot something at the grocery store. I don't know. But he's, he's out, and he's coming back in. So they came, and the, collect, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. 
and when he came into the house. So, so the question here isn't a question of like an entrapment question. This is actually a question of, of giving him an excuse not to pay it. So the, the temple tax that they're talking about here, this was a very common tax that was in place. We see it all the way back in Exodus that it's put in place to help, help carry on the, the, the work of the temple. And so this was a work that was done for, um, for, for the, the ministry, the, the atonement, the things that you could do from this. And temple tax was required by anyone over the age of 20 or 25, depending upon which, which one you read, as a male, to, to pay for. And this tax essentially equated out to being, for a fairly poor, not super poor, but a fairly poor or, or laborer, this tax ended up being a, um, about two days wages for them. So this is, that's what this tax was. And so they, the temple tax, these guys come to him, and they, they come to Jesus not in a way to entrap him or to ensnare him. They come actually giving him, the way they pose the question is, is literally like, well, is he gonna, does he pay it or does he not? Meaning he has an excuse not to. He has an out not to is what they're doing. They don't seem to be um, feisty or, or aggressive in their question. So Peter just answers the question without even thinking, which is Peter all the time, right? Most of the time. But he's, Peter just says, yeah, yeah, he pays it. And we don't know if he pays it because he's seen him pay um, taxes before, although this was an annual tax that would happen kind of near Passover. Um, or if he just knew right ahead, well, he's going to pay it because he was afraid of offending them or didn't want to rock the boat. But he just says, yeah, he pays it. Yeah, that's great. He pays it. And so these two tax collectors would have been working for, um, for the temple tax necessarily. They would have been like a secondary party. So they weren't even necessarily the ones that would get the money. They would pass it off so it would head to the temple and go there. So this is, that's this tax that's in place. It's an annual tax. It's something that would happen fairly regularly. Um, people would argue their right to not have to pay it. So there were a number of people that wouldn't have to pay it. They would say, well, as priests, we don't have to pay it. Or some of the Pharisees would say, because of our religious role and what we do with the law, we don't have to pay it. And therefore, because I don't pay it, this person doesn't have to pay it. So there was, there was all kinds of controversy on who has to pay it and who doesn't have to pay it. But either way, it was, it was kind of this tax in place. And, and there's no real good historic count of someone not paying it and what would happen, but, but it would rock the boat. And there's a good chance that if you were a more prominent figure that didn't pay it, it would bring about questions as to why you didn't pay it. And then that could get back to Jerusalem. They could send people in. It could get ugly. Who knows what could happen. But there's nothing really from that. So this is the tax that's in place. So they say, yes. He, or Peter just says, well, yeah, he does. And then when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, now I want to pause on this for a second. I read, I don't know if you guys do this too, but you read this stuff and you just kind of glaze past something that's pretty, pretty amazing, okay? Jesus spoke to him first. So Peter has this conversation elsewhere where Jesus isn't present, okay? And then he walks into the door and he opens the door and he's probably going to come to Jesus and say, hey, we, we got to pay this tax or hey, they're, they're asking about us that time. What, what do you want to do? How do you want to, like, he, who knows what he's going to come and say? Hey, I, I committed you to paying the tax. Hey, just so you know, the guys are here. Who knows? But either way, before he even has a word to speak, Jesus speaks to him. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have lost your wonder in, in the word of God or not, or if this even sits at you, but it's those moments where it's just kind of freeing to me to think that before Peter even opened his mouth, Jesus already knows the conversation that's coming. He knows what needs to be said, and he's going to utilize it for a way to bring about a teaching moment for his disciple whom he loves. And so Jesus is literally, before Peter speaks, Jesus comes into the conversation and poses this question that is directly correlated to the conversation that Peter just had without Jesus being present. 
And this is, again, I, I point this out. It's, it's, it's extra, but I point this out because we've we got to remember that Jesus, although as a man here, he's fully God. And so he, he's full of omniscient. He knew everything. In fact, we see that a little bit later in this, in this story right here. And so he, he knows everything. And so Jesus, before Peter even opens his mouth, just opens the door, he says, Jesus just goes, what do you think, Simon? This is the, uh, Simon is his birth name. Jesus renamed him Peter. He only refers to him as Peter once in all the New Testament, Simon, everywhere else. From whom do kings on earth take, um, take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? So, so Jesus, they walk in and Jesus asks this question. So I don't know if Peter is like, whoa, I was just talking about tax. Crazy. How'd you know? Or if he just kind of like, oh, here we go. Another teaching moment, right? So he poses a question. says, who do the kings tax? And the kings was a common thing. Everyone knew what kings were, and they were in place. And the, the kings, it was the taxes that kept that kingdom running. It was the taxes that made their lifestyle lucrative and, and, and free. And so the king, kings, who do the kings tax? And so he says, do they tax their sons or others? And some scholars want to say that this is foreigners, people out of the town or in. That's, that, I think, is, is, a, is a, bad, a bad interpretation of this. This is literally family or not family. Well, it's a pretty obvious question, right? There's this, it seems ludicrous for a king who's, who's handing his, his son a bunch of money and then to tax him. Parents don't do that. It doesn't make a lot of sense, okay? So don't tax your kids for their college or whatever else you want to do. Like, that's not the point he's making here. But the kings would pay for, pay for everything in their family. And so why would they tax out of their own money? So it made sense that, well, they're going to tax everyone else to make this thing happen, not them. And so it was a, kind of a silly question, an almost rhetorical question. And, G, and Peter answers it correctly with probably not a lot of thought. He says, um, from the sons of others. And he said, well, from others. Obviously from others. You wouldn't tax your son. It's your money. That seems weird. So why would you tax your money? So then Jesus says to him, then the sons are free. Now this is unique because this is the temple tax. And so what Jesus is doing right here is he's laying the groundwork to say that because he is the son of God and the purpose of the temple is the dwelling place, the house of God, he is a son of God, therefore he's free from the tax. Sons are free. We don't have to pay the tax. There is no reason to pay this tax because this temple tax does not, does not you wouldn't tax a son. You only tax those outside. So Jesus is, is literally laying the groundwork to say, I don't have to pay this tax. This tax is one of those ones that I'm free, and, and, and because of that statement, it would have made Peter and his disciples free because that's how it rolled. So, so he's basically saying, look, the sons of the kingdom are free from this tax. So Jesus, so before you're like, sweet, don't pay taxes. Well, first off, we don't have a temple tax, and if you're paying a temple tax, I, I, I don't know what you're paying it to. But, um, but he's saying in this situation, we, we, you don't have to pay it. And so here's Jesus, who's, who's in a situation where he's in Capernaum. He's, he's a very, very well-known figure at this point where he is, he is spending a bunch of time with a number of other people in the same area. And so they're watching him, and they're paying attention to him. And they're, they're, they're seeing what he does and doesn't do. And here's Jesus, and he says, hey, well, who should get taxed, Peter? And Peter's like, well, obviously others. He's like, okay, good. Well, the sons are free. So now Peter, in his mind, is going, okay, well, so do we, do we not pay the tax? Like, I don't know if there's a long question. Like, so do we pay it or do we not? Like, what's going on here? This seems, if we don't pay it, are, are we not in support of the temple? Like, what, what, what's, I'm confused here. What's going on? And so Jesus then goes on and, and kind of frees Peter from this thinking. However, 
However, not to give offense to them. Look at that. Not to give offense to them. Not to hurt them. Not to, not to, not to, to stir the pot up where you don't have to stir the pot up. Not, not to sin against them. Right? Not to give offense to them. Would you, not to give offense to them, would you go, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up? And when you open its mouth, you will find a, a shekel or a stator. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, this is really, really interesting. First off, Peter was a very, very good fisherman. And he spent most of his time fishing with nets. And that was the common way to do it. In fact, casting and catching one fish at a time was not a sustainable way of life. And so, he's, so in a way, he's, he's telling Peter, who's a seasoned fisherman, to go out and grab a fishing pole and, and go out and cast one hook with nothing on it. Hey, don't put any food on it or anything. Just, just put the hook out in the water. And catch a fish, first fish you catch, hey, good news, the, the tax will be covered for both of us. That, what's unique about that is, is, is that, is that he didn't tell Peter where to go. So again, I, I love this because it's not like, I don't know where the conversation goes. We don't, this is the end of the, 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 this right here, and we don't have this count in the other Gospels. But he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, on the left bank, right down, you're going to want to cast, you know, into the wind. He doesn't tell him anything. He just says, hey, throw the fish out, throw the line out, first fish come in and do this. And we can, we can assume that, that this happened, and this is what the place is. This isn't some fictitious story because this is what Jesus is teaching here. Right, he's teaching us this. And so Peter goes out and casts it and pulls a fish in. Well, something to know about these coins is, 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 that, is that the coins had um, a number of different kinds of coins. And, and a drachma was not, it was a weird coin that, that didn't have a, an even balance to it. So to pay for the temple tax, you had to have four of them, which most people wouldn't, or you had a shekel or a stator is what it's called. And so that, that is what they used. And that would cover, it was common for, for Jews, men, to, to come together and say, hey, let's buy this tax together with this because that's the easiest way to pay it off without having to worry about change and all that other stuff. And so Peter does this miracle. Now what's unique about this is this is the first miracle that Jesus uses kind of for himself. You ever think about that? This is the first time that he, like, every, every kind of other miracle he had done was always for someone else. But this is the first miracle where he actually used something to kind of benefit what he needed to do at this moment. But the whole premise of doing this was what? Not to give offense. Not to give offense. See, Jesus knows that if he doesn't do this, who knows what will happen with these two guys. They could go back to Jerusalem and say, hey, that Jesus guy wouldn't do it. It gives leverage, turns a fight. They could get in trouble for it. It kind of rocks this boat in a way that isn't necessary when Jesus could do it. Now, what else is unique about this is that the only money that Jesus had was money that was given to him. The disciples and Jesus were broke. They lived off of what was given them, and that's it. So the money that they had was given to them for ministry, was given to those things. And so there is something to be said about Jesus struggling for that money that was for ministry purposes to pay a tax that he actually isn't obligated to pay. So I think in this situation, Jesus did what only Jesus could do, which is, is show these people that he is God, show Peter specifically that he is God again, and still appease what needed to be appeased so that he could, he could keep this in the right way. Now, before you go crazy, like, wait, so what, what about the taxes? This is a temple tax. Again, we don't have a temple tax, okay? But he's saying in this situation, I don't have to pay it. I'm not even obligated to pay it. But because I decide to pay it, I'm going to show these people my grace, my love, my truth, 
I'm not going to rock a boat that doesn't need to be rocked. Okay? So this is that first step. Now, this, that, that's the first section. We'll come back to it. If you've turned forward a few pages to Matthew 22, verse 15 is where we're going to pick up. And this is a totally different scenario. This is a, a, a week or two, a couple weeks or days before Jesus goes into the temple and flips the tables. So, so that, keep that in mind, okay? That's, that's coming, okay, where he is. And this is the conversation he has prior to that, okay? Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians and saying, saying teacher. Now, first, I got to talk about this a little bit. So they have plotted in a way to entrap him, to ensnare him. So these other two guys, these tax collectors that came, um, these other two guys were, were not entrapping him. They were just asking a question. Now, this is a, an attack at Jesus. They're coming into him to say, okay, we're going to figure out how to ensnare him. And, and the Pharisees and the Herodians are working together, and they don't work together. Again, Pharisees are religious leaders that were, were focused on the law of, of Moses and, and staying faithful to that. They had all the extra laws that were written. That's what the Pharisees were. The Herodians are literally that name because they are followers of Herod. Herod was a governor in place, Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, all the Herods are in place by Caesar. So their purpose is essentially to, to fit and, and align with Rome. So they're Jewish people that are aligning themselves with Rome. And that's their role, and that's what they're doing. And so it's a unique partnership to come and attack Jesus with. It's where we're going to attack him not only from the scriptural law, the Old Testament law, and we're going to attack him from what's going on in our current circumstances right now. So whatever Jesus answers, they think they have the perfect plot against him. Whatever Jesus thinks, whatever Jesus says, he's going to offend one of us. And we'll be, able to, we'll be able to call him out, arrest him, ruin his ministry. And so that's what's going on. And they come to entrap him. And then they come to him and say, teacher, which is a huge and amazing respectful term. You don't approach someone, speak to them and say teacher in this unless you believe they are a teacher or a rabbi or worthy of that. So this term is, is, is one of, of, very, of great humility of saying, you are a teacher. Now, even though we know that they're saying this tongue-in-cheek, we know that they're kind of lip-servicing this. He says, teacher, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, or you are not taking any kind of partiality. Now, who has ever been buttered up before? Have you ever, have you ever had someone like, you're like, they're totally like buttering me up for something? Raise your hand if you've ever been buttered up. Come on, be honest. Okay. How does that feel? Gross, you're right. Okay, so in, so in one sense, it feels gross, right? So that's good. It feels, it feels like you're like, okay, what are you doing? Like, you're, 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 ah. Oh. And so these guys are thinking they're going to trap Jesus by buttering him up. We're going to sneak in. We're going to talk. We're going we're to fill his ear with what he wants to hear so that when we ask the question, he's not prepared. Like they're trying to stack the deck in their favor. Now, I want to pause on this text and talk about this very specific thing real quick. First off, uh, if, if what they say, which they, what they say is absolutely true about Jesus, he is, he's about truth. He teaches truth. He doesn't show partiality. He loves everyone. He, he did so much so to go to the cross for that. Like he... He is, he is exactly what they're saying. Despite what they are saying with the wrong hearts, it is all true about him. That being said, I want to know how you guys posture yourselves. Or better yet, ask yourself this question. How do you posture yourself? See, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a problem with us where a lot of times our posture is where we make people around us interact with us in a way that they have to butter us up first. 
right? We, maybe it's in a marriage situation, husband and wife, or it's in a, in a brother-sister relationship or friends or, or an employee-employer situation where you basically hold yourself in a situation where you know that they have to come in and say this and this and this about you before you're ever going to give them an ear. Well, that is sinful and wrong. So if you have this posture about you where people can't interact with you without first telling you six things they love about you, that's a you issue. And the flip side, the inverse of this, is how many of you, how many of you are actually susceptible to being buttered up? You're right, it kind of does feel gross. It's a good, good reaction. But if we're honest, sometimes it kind of feels good too. And, and, and my concern is, is that a lot of us, because we like to feel good and we like what people think of us, that that weighs more than what God says is true of us. And so what ends up happening is we get taken away by being buttered up. We get taken away by, by these nice statements. And it's like, well, you do this, this, and this. It's like, oh, okay, let's do it. Singles, you're in a relationship. You, you know what God's word says about what you are to do physically and not physically before. And yet because you're in this relationship, they say these nice things I love and these nice things are buttering you up, right? Well, I know what God's word says, but just in case you're wondering, if you ever say that, it does not end well. Okay, I know what God's word says, but it's never a good situation. That's you finding a way to give yourself and remove yourself out from underneath God's word and say, I am the exception. I am okay with being outside of God's word. So when it comes to partiality or, 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 or buttering up or being embittered, I just wanted to, that's, this is like a free little extra bit for you guys. If you posture yourself in a way where people can't interact with you unless they show you how much they love you first, that's pride. If you're swayed by people's attention, then you, you, you view people more important than God. And Jesus was neither of those things and we're called to be like Jesus. They're saying truth to him. They're saying, look, you show no partiality. It doesn't matter what someone says to you, what their position is, how much, how much influence they have, how amazing they are. Jesus is just solid, full of grace, 100% grace, and truth, 100% truth at the exact same time. So they say this to him. And then, and then Jesus lets him down easy. <clears throat> he says, but Jesus, aware of their malice. This is one of those things, again, aware, he's aware of their malice. You get it? Like, he, he's not confused by it. Let me just say that really quickly. He's aware of yours and my malice, too. He, he's aware of our evil desires, and yet he still graciously loves us. He's not confused what we pick up from both these texts is he, is he knows everything. He is God. Jesus is aware of their malice, so he, he lets them down softly. And he says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Ouch, right? He just kind of puts them in this place like, why, why, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Now, I would like to say that a little bit more sternly maybe than he does, but Jesus is allowed to name call without sinning somehow. So he's able to do that in a healthy way, right? So he, he, he calls him hypocrite, but here's, here's why. I think he calls him it because he proves with the very next sis, um, sentence their hypocrisy. The very next sentence, he, he proves it. He says, why, why, do you, why do you test me? Why are you testing me? This is ridiculous. Like, it's almost like kind of comical. Right? I'm aware of your malice. I'm aware of what you're doing. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? And then he goes, show me, show me the coin for the tax. Now, here's what I think he said. This is me reading into it. Show me the coin for the tax. This is why he's calling him a hypocrite. 
you know what happened is right then one of the one of the disciples of the Herodians or the Pharisees went, oh, okay. Reached in their pocket and pulled out the coins. Which to the Jews was wrong. You're not supposed to make any kind of God or any kind of inscription on anything that would be idolized. And here they are pulling the very money that's done with Caesar's inscription on it. It's got his, it's got his his icon, his face in place. They pull it out of their pockets. Oh, here you go. I got a few right here. You want some? See, he's, he's calling them out on their very own issue, and they didn't even see it coming. He says, you hypocrites, show me, show me whose face is on it. And then he asks them, or show me, show me the coin for the tax. And, and they brought him a denarius, another coin. And he said, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Like, he's asking this question, which I think, at this point, they, they don't realize how much they've lost their battle. He's already called them a hypocrite and everything else. But at this point, he's like, well, whose likeness is it? Like, is he, is he playing dumb? Either way, they answer it. <laughs> Caesar's. Someone's like, I got it right. Caesar's. Anyways, he says, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render or pay back or give back. That's what that word means. Not, not give, but to give back what is owed. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to Caesar his property. That's got his inscription. That's his face. That's his coin. Give it back to him. You have it in your pocket. Now give it to him. And that's what Jesus says. He says, essentially, Caesar's then, then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he pulls us in, and I love this, and to God the things that are God's. Give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And they marveled at him. And went and left. The sadness of the, the saddest part of this whole text is they marveled and then left instead of following him. Oh my word, he's so wise, he's amazing. We can't trap him. See ya. Marveled. So Jesus says, Look, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Now this is this is where I want to talk about this. Now, I don't know if you know much about the government in place when Jesus was there. But to say that they were fairly oppressive would be an understatement, okay? To say that the temple tax actually was being used for the temple and not having anyone skim off the top or any kind of, uh, any kind of money laundering or evasive things or, or filling, lining people's pockets would be so easy to claim. In fact, the corruption in the government was ridiculous. You know what's funny about these taxes? You know who's writing this book? Inspired by God? Matthew. What did Matthew do? He's a tax collector. If anyone could write these things, I feel like he's kind of writing this going, <laughs> we're going to give, he told us to give to, G, give to Caesar. What is Caesar? I mean, I, I was a tax collector and I took so much off the top. And then this guy, Joe, remember him? He took so much off the top. And then Bob did this. And I don't even know if like half a percent of that went to Caesar by the end. So they just wanted more. So then we just kept taking more. And it was a completely corrupt and messed up system. And here he is penning this. Give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? He knew how much he stole. He knew how hypocritical he was. He knew how corrupt it was. And that's not the point. In fact, in this time, they, they estimate upper 20% for, for the poorest of people in taxes. Just, they would be on them. That's not counting all of their grain and all of the crop and everything else. That's just their financial taxes. Whether they're poor or rich or not. It, it was just, it was a massive amount of taxing going over and over and over again. And the only benefit they had from all of Rome's taxes was that they weren't getting conquered anytime soon. Right? That was it. They got the protection of Rome. I mean, they were oppressed by Rome, but they got the protection of Rome. 
and no one was coming in to take him on because Rome was too strong. And so here we have Jesus telling us that there's this corrupt government. He's, he's saying, but give what is theirs to them. I mean corrupt. But then he throws in, and give the things of God to the things of God. Give God what is his. Now what's interesting about that, that word icon is the same word that's used for guess whose image we are made in. God's. You, if you bear the name of Christ, you know whose image you're made in? You, do you realize like we are made in the image of God, so therefore we are God's. Get it? If it's a coin, it's got George Washington or whatever. It's got dollar bill. It's got George Washington, whatever. I which one is George Washington? I can't even get it right. Whatever, dollar bill, I think. Anyways, it's his. That's George Washington. Give it to him. But my life, my heart, my body, I am made in the image of God, and therefore my whole being is his. The entirety of who I am is his. You see, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's not saying they're combative. He's saying both can exist. Look, I, I know, I know, I know that our government is not amazing and there's, there's struggles with it and there's corruption, I'm sure of it. I get, like, I get all those things and, and no matter where you sit politically, you're like, well, I don't like this or I don't like this or this and you have all kinds of reasons. I get all of that. But let me just say it this way. As bad as our government is, it's nothing like Rome in Jesus' day. But we're called to give. So that means, for those of you, when it comes to taxes, are, are you paying them? Are you evading them? Are you skimming? Are you running from it? Are you hiding things? Are you taking advantage of little systems to try and keep yourself from owing what you owe? Uh, Jesus is saying, you gotta give to government. What's the government's? But you gotta give to God. What's God's? And that's what I wanna talk about now is as if Talking about the government and giving taxes wasn't hard enough. Uh, God's very, or Jesus is very clear about giving to God what is his, the things that are his, and, and you are his. You are made in his image, and therefore you belong to be with him, all of you. And so I, I know when it comes to the church, there's always these, these issues that come or nonprofits, and it just money and politics and religion are like the worst things to talk about. We're hitting all three today. This is awesome, right? But, but, but Jesus is, is, is very clear about this. Your life is his. It's his. Your life, not, not your Monday life or your Sunday life, not just your time, not just your finances, but all of who you are is the image of God. You have his imprint on you and therefore you are his. You are his. So let me pose the question. If you're giving to the government what's giving the government, are you giving to God what is God's? And how we give to God is we give him back everything that he has given us. And yes, that's finances. Part of that's finances. And so just listen to this for a second. Not in like small C church. God, God has been very generous here. You guys have been faithful to give here and financially we're doing, we're doing good. But this isn't just about us. I'm talking God's greater church the nonprofits he has doing God's work, the, 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 the communities that are doing amazing, the orphanages around the world, the, 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 the sex trafficking organizations, all these things, God's kingdom work that's happening right now. Are you giving to that? Because if you're not, you're not giving to God what's his. 
You're, you're just not. In fact, the, the Bible teaches that we are to give tithes and offering. Tithes is a 10% thing. We don't govern that. I'm not checking your, oh, let me see here. I don't even know who gives what. I stay clear of that. But, but the point is, is you're, you're, you're commanded to do so. And not just your finances. This, this text fits with finances. It makes sense because it's talking about finances. It's talking about the taxes and, and, and the giving to God those things. So yeah, you, you're supposed to give. But it's also, if you're to give God the things that are his, well, newsflash, you're his. Your arms, your legs, your voices, your lives are his. So some of you right now, you've been, you've been hiding behind the fact that you have these certain complacencies in life or these easiness or, hey, I, I give God financially, so therefore I'm not going to give him of my time. That's a lie. You're not partly his. Your image is him. You're all his. And Jesus commands us to give to him what is his. Some of you, you've been serving the, the snot out of things, and it's so awesome and so good, and you've been giving. You serve at the rescue mission or create common good. You serve all over, and you, you, you continue to be the hands and feet that God calls us to do so, but you believe that that excuses you from actually giving a tithe and offering. That is wrong. Look, as, as, a, as a pastor, I don't like talking about this stuff. I really don't. But as a pastor, I feel like there's nothing I can do but talk about it when the Scripture tells us to. The scripture is very clear. You give. So if you're not giving, guys, you're in a spot of, of disobedience. Now here's, here's what Jesus promises us out of this. He doesn't promise us that what we give to isn't corrupt. And I want to say, I want to say from the, the <laughs> look, there are, unfortunately, the bride of Christ has a lot of marks against her because of people doing the wrong thing, the wrong time. And so as a, as a pastor that represents a small C church of the greater church, can I just say, forgive us. Forgive us for, for, for messing it up or bringing pain for, for mis, misusing what God has, has entrusted. But, but, but don't you dare use that as excuse to not give to God what is God's. You realize that whatever churches or organizations or whatever places you've given to that have misappropriated or hurt, or you're like, I knew it, this was it, they have to answer to God for what they do with what you give of them. That's on them. That's not, like, you give because God calls you to give. You don't give because you hope that your dollars will make them less corrupt. You give because God calls you to give. You give of your time because God calls you to give, not because we need your time. You don't serve in kids because, well, we just, we just need more people. I mean, yeah, we need more people. You serve in kids because God has called you to give of your time. You serve at Create Common Good because God has called you to give of your time. You give financially because that is God's money. He's the one that gave it to you. You're not that amazing. He's the one that gave you the, 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 the dollars and the paycheck. He's the one that's allowing you to continue to do your job. He's the one that holds you together. Every breath in... Is from him. So why do we hold back? And what Jesus is saying, if it's God's, give it to God. If it's the government, give it to government. I don't, I don't know what else to say to that. The, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more. But I want to I encourage you and challenge you at the same time, which is if you're holding back, I mean, if you're holding back your time, you're like, I can't invest again. I did it and I got burned. I, got, I, got my, I spent so much time and I was never appreciated when you weren't doing it for appreciation. 
forgive the, the people that you volunteered. They should have appreciated you. But that's not why you do it. You do it because God calls you to give of yourself to him. This isn't some game you're playing. You are an adopted child of God. If you surrender to the word of Christ, you are an adopted child of God, called by him, named by him, created by him, and now working for him to do his work for his glory. You don't get to sit on the sideline. You don't get to check out. A couple of scriptures, just in case you're wondering if this is just Jesus is speaking crazy. First Peter 2, 13 through 14 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So here's Peter. He saw Jesus obey and submit to things that he didn't have to. Romans 13, 1 through 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. This one just irks me, guys. This is a hard one. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You know what goes on in, in Romans after this? It says, pray for them. Pray for your leaders. Ah, how are we doing on that one, church? I feel like, I feel like the Apostle Paul, of all people, could understand the persecution that, that the church had felt underneath the leaders that were in place, and here he is writing this. He goes on to say, they're all instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So he's saying, submit, submit. Now, I want to be really clear, and then we'll get into the music. There are a number of our brothers and sisters around this world that are pushed with the choice, choose the government over God, and they have to submit to God and not the government. And, and they get their lives taken for it. They get oppressed. They have to do underground church I am not saying that the scripture of Jesus is not saying submit to authorities that usurp God's authority. Never, ever, ever do you submit to a government that usurps God's authority. If God calls you to do something and the government says, no, this is what we're calling you to do, that is a great time to hold that sign and say, no. In a gracious and loving way. I don't know if sign's a good way. Sign's a bad idea. Let's not do signs, okay? The point is, the point is, is, that, is that we aren't called to do we're called to live this way. Jesus calls us to submit to the government, to subject to themselves to this. And honestly, guys, again, like I said, we, we got it pretty easy here. We can gather. We can hang out. We aren't worried about someone breaking down the doors, telling us we can't meet. Look at that. But never, ever, ever do we submit to a government that calls us to do something contrary to God's word. But where are you at with this? Where are you at with your time, with your finances? Your heart. Jesus lies our heart with our money. And so my, my, my bet is, my bet is because, unfortunately, I, I get to spend a lot of time around pastors, and I spend a lot of time around a lot of nonprofits, and they contact us all the time. You know what's sad to me? Is that the, 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 the nonprofits in the church, at least in the valley, are underfunded. Man, there's amazing things, doing amazing, amazing, incredible work, and they don't have the finances in place. And, and really, we can just kind of come down to it. It's probably because well, we as believers either don't take Jesus at his word here, or we don't use our funds wisely so that we actually have the ability to do so. It breaks my heart to see people being held back, God calling people to do it. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he's given all of us the responsibility to use our gifts and our time and our, and our money for the things that are his. And guess what? All of us is his. You don't get to separate an arm or that extra paycheck. It's all his. So give to him what is his. God, I pray that you would strengthen each of us, God. We're in areas where we are 
struggling to follow you with our time. God, with our, with our time. If we are so selfish in our time and we don't feel like giving you any more than, than an hour and a half or two on a Sunday is worth it, um, please forgive us for that, God. God, for, for, for your body that, that, that is, is come together where we have specific hands and eyes and ears and mouths and minds to work together, God, I pray that you would help us to find out our role and to do so. Whether it's on a Sunday or, or through the week or, or, or at the, in this building or, or out in the community. God, I pray for even when we go in September to serve the community on Sunday instead of services, that instead of it being um, a reason or excuse for people to go, oh, good, a day off, that we would, we would double, triple in number of people that are out being the hands and feet of Jesus. God, I pray for, for your kingdom work. Um, you are building your church, and you alone um, will do so, and you invite us to be a part of that. So I pray that we would be the part that you've called us to. Nothing more, nothing less, God. For those of us that, that continue to struggle with pain from, from past choices of, of serving or, or past choices of, of being used or, or past choices or past consequences of, of finances, God, I pray that you would just free us from that burden, that bitterness, free us from the pain and allow us to move forward in the promise that you are good, you are, you are true, and you are loving, and you are worth every single aspect of us. God, it wasn't a few chapters or a few verses earlier where you commanded us to die to ourselves, and I pray again that we would die to ourselves in every aspect. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And we pray that we would be um, fully surrendered to you in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.